Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the Book of Enoch, the Prophet. Summary Discussion of Part 3 The Poetic Technique and Mathematics The third part of the Book of Enoch, the Prophet, was difficult to convert into a poetic format because the content is not the same as the rest of the book. The English translation of the Ethiopic manuscript might seem to be very nonsensical to most readers, and the prophecies in this third part use numerological encryptions, which are unusually perplexing to solve. Applying research results for several words referencing such concepts as phases of the sun, moon, wind, and other numerical clues resulted in poetry incorporating modern explanations for these celestial cycles based on Enoch's ancient descriptions. The research revealed interesting discoveries. There are 12 phases of the sun, 8 phases of the moon, and 12 categories for the wind, precisely as Enoch says there are. Also, it is understandable that there are 364 days in a year, with an extra day added to each year and one day remaining for a leap year. Enoch has a rather humorous way to account for the number of days in a year, but there may have been an alternate purpose for this curiously funny mathematical riddle. The hidden purpose of the riddle may have been to present a prediction of a future event that Enoch could not fully understand. The prophetic vision a prophet receives from God is not always completely comprehensible to him because the prophecy comes from God, not solely from the man's mind. There can be interference from the man's own thoughts that cause a prophecy to be like a riddle, but the truth within the message from God will always come through because the Holy Spirit guides true believers to know the truth. Enoch's curiously encrypted numerical sequences seem to have correlations to historical events. Enoch did not have any understanding of how modern historians would determine the accounting of years, and he lived in a time thousands of years before Christ. However, Enoch's writing seems to have predicted an event occurring in 1346 A.D., that could have been the egregious error of men who plundered the gold from the Ark of the Covenant to fund 100 years of warfare in Europe. 1346 A.D. was also the beginning of the Black Plague, and men made many errors during that plague. Enoch could not be specific in his prophecy because he would not have completely understood his vision, but he knew there was a significance to this numerical sequence, which appears more than once in this part of the book. Repeating this reference emphasizes its significance, and Enoch knew that something significantly bad was going to happen. It was a significant error of mankind to plunder a holy relic. The Ark of the Covenant Theoretically, the Knights Templar captured the ancient treasures of the Judean kings of old and took them back to England during the time of the Crusades. The treasures remained hidden until King Edward found them during a time of internal strife within England. King Edward used the gold stripped from the Ark of the Covenant to fund his wars with Scotland and France, and this mistake also unleashed God's wrath with the Black Plague. Edward had renewed his conquest with mysteriously found wealth after initially failing to wage a successful military campaign a few years earlier due to a lack of funds. Historians have completely ignored the oddity of how a destitute post-Crusade monarch was able to fund a war that would ultimately last for 100 years. The English crown was practically destitute prior to this time because of King Edward's financial and military failures, so there is no other reasonable explanation for him to suddenly have enough wealth to engage in warfare and conquest. The gold and jewels Edward used to pay for this conquest came from the Ark of the Covenant. The author cannot prove this theory with any physical evidence other than the curiously unexplainable numerical sequence appearing in this ancient text. There are no other significant historical occurrences 
in the year 1346 A.D. that might provide a reasonable basis for an important prediction about this year to appear in an ancient text other than the plague, which begins at that time. There are many books and theories available today that attempt to explain what happened to the ancient relic and where it might be if it has not already been plundered or destroyed. However, not one of those other books has produced any conclusively physical evidence to prove their theories either. The Ark of the Covenant has not been found, nor will it ever be found, because it has been completely plundered by heretic Christians. The scripture in Revelations also says that the Ark of the Covenant will appear in a temple that opens in the heavens. See Revelations 11.19. This passage is a prophecy that explains what happened to the Holy Relic, and it approves that the Ark of the Covenant is no longer on the earth. It only exists in heaven within God's heavenly temple because mankind destroyed the one God commanded Moses to make on earth as a physical representation of God's covenant with mankind. John's revelation predicting the plundering of the Ark of the Covenant because he saw it existing only in heaven and the correlation of these two prophecies provides proof that this third part of Enoch's book was not a fabrication of some later interloping editor who might have endeavored to make adjustments to Enoch's prophecies after the events occurred. It could be argued that this mysterious numerical sequence within the text of the ancient manuscript was an attempt to add some new details that might lend credibility to the book of Enoch the prophet, which would make the entire text questionable as a fraud. However, this third component of the five-part book has correlative text in the first two parts that substantiate this numerical information as having inclusive necessity. Enoch describes being instructed on the cosmology of the illuminaries by the angel Uriel, and this third section is clearly his telling of it all in more detail. Mathematics are eternal in the universe. Curiously, one of the things Enoch found important to tell Methuselah was this numerical sequence of 1, 3, 4, and 6. The entire explanation about 364 days in a year becomes a cover for a significant prediction of a future event. Enoch creates this mystery when discussing the number of days in a year because his description seems erroneous. The various numerical references in this section are mathematically perfect. The only numerical sequence that seems out of place is 1, 3, 4, and 6, and this sequence seems completely meaningless and not an enumeration of anything else relevant to Enoch's discussions about the number of days in a year. A possible clue to understanding the significance of this number is in the word gate. And this word is also a cryptological metaphor for a door. In modern understanding, a gate could also refer to a binary position. And there are four positions in this numerical sequence. Binary refers to one of two conditions, which is either one or zero. And the binary equivalent to one, three, four, six is one, zero, one, zero, one, zero, 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 one, zero an 11-digit number. Enoch's numerical sequences are in decimal format, which arranges numbers from 0 to 9. Because this four-position numerical sequence appears twice, it seems reasonable to square the four-gate base. The result is a 16-base mathematical concept known as hexadecimal. If the purpose of this duplicated numerical sequence is to refer to a hexadecimal number, then the binary equivalent is 1001101000110. A 13-digit number. When combining the number of digits in both of these converted numerical equivalents, the total number of binary gate digits becomes 24, which also happens to be the exact number of hours in a day. It is one day that seems to be curiously missing in Enoch's accountability of the total number of days in a year. 
However, this cursory theory has only had the purpose of introducing how Enoch might have been aware of binary mathematics. An alternate calculation of the numerical sequence is also possible when continuing to apply the theory that these gates are references to binary mathematics when considering that Enoch only discusses the first six binary positions of a typically eight-digit binary sequence, the sequence of binary numbers then becomes 10110100, which has the decimal equivalent of 180, half the circumference of a circle which has 360 degrees. Additionally, this passage also presents the numerical reference to 177. Within the text of the cryptic explanation, there seems to be a proposed calculation of this number being the sum of 25 multiplied by 7 plus 2 which does equal 177. Then, there is the curious suggestion that says to decrease the sixth gate by one. If applying this suggestion to the binary code as explained above, the resulting 10110000 is equivalent in decimal format to 176, which is one less than 177, or decreased by one as suggested. Because the gate sequence occurs twice in this segment, Doubling the decimal equivalent of 10110100 becomes 360. In the interest of discovery, this analysis could go on forever, and the reader might not ever come any closer to solving the mystery of the missing one day that makes a year 365 days long, instead of how Enoch argues that it is 364 days long. Initially, the author postulated that the reasoning for a year being 364 days in the time of Enoch was that it truly was 364 days long, notwithstanding the mathematical calculations Enoch used to determine the days in a year. Understandably, the impact of a comet around 14,000 years ago could have slowed the Earth's momentum enough that it has been circling the sun at a rate of 365 days since that time. It is a scientific fact that the Earth's momentum of travel around the sun is decreasing over time, but slowing down an entire day takes millions of years. It is not likely that Enoch lived millions of years ago on Earth, but it is more plausible to accept a theory that a comet strike could have slowed the Earth's momentum in its movement around the Sun while not disturbing its independent rotational speed. Any number of scientific experiments or mathematical calculations in the field of physics might be able to prove this to be possible, but the author is not a mathematician or a physicist. Interpreting the numerical sequence as a prediction of a future event has been a matter of the author's vision when first reading and studying the English translation of the Ethiopic manuscript as a literary scholar and poet. Prior to doing more thorough research into the events of 1346 AD, the author's initial interpretation was that the numerical sequence was a prediction of a time when men would greatly err with respect to a luminary. The luminary, according to this theory, was the gold on the exterior of the Ark of the Covenant, and the error was the plundering of that holy relic by the Knights Templar. The author's research confirmed that some particularly curious events took place in 1346 A.D. However, it is with some concession offered in this argument that the assumption of this theory might have been the result of a psycholinguistic manipulation, a curse implanted in the copies retrieved by James Bruce when he explored Assyria in a time that was most definitely post-Crusade. The possibility exists that a copying scribe in a later time period from the time of Enoch might have endeavored to inject a curse into this part of the text when making the copies. If that is the case, then this spell was very intelligently done for it to have included the concepts of binary mathematics. It is reasonably possible for binary mathematics to have been fraudulently included in the manuscripts that James Bruce recovered because binary mathematics were discovered in Europe 
by Gottfried Leibniz in approximately 1679. However, it was not likely that anyone of the time period living in Assyria would have been educated enough to inject this advanced mathematical concept into some ancient Ethiopic writings for the purpose of creating an elaborate hoax. The purpose of discussing this matter specifically is to prove, through its obvious conclusion, that Enoch had been educated on advanced binary mathematics by the extraterrestrials who abducted him. If binary mathematics are clearly known by other sentient beings throughout the universe, then binary mathematics become a universal means for communication. The basic concept of binary mathematics is that there is a two-condition calculation, one or zero, which is also known as a gate being open or closed. If Enoch's purpose for enumerating a decimal sequence is to encrypt a binary equivalent, then the sequence of one in the first gate, one in the third gate, one in the fourth gate, and one in the sixth gate has a six-digit binary equivalent of 101101. Enoch's explanation is truly about the number of days in a year overall, but this discussion might just have the purpose to conceal a prophecy about a particular year. The decimal equivalent of 101101, a six-digit binary number, is 45. It was in 45 BC that Julius Caesar ordered the creation of a solar calendar comprised of three years having 365 days in a year with an extra day in the fourth year for 366 days. If Enoch used binary mathematics to make a prediction about an event in a future year, an event that would have ultimately contradicted his own calculations of the number of days in a year, then that year could have been 45 BC. However, other scholars who have studied the text have determined that the Enochian calendar has 364 days because of his erroneous calculation of days based upon the cycles of the moon. None of them have ever considered that Enoch had a knowledge of binary mathematics. Still, there is a curious significance to the numerical sequence of 1346 if it was not a binary representation of 45. King Edward's inexplicably newfound wealth in 1346 enabled England to wage war for 100 years. Combined with the beginning of the Black Plague, there are two historical events supporting the author's theory that this numerical sequence is a prediction of an event in the distant future from the time of Enoch, although there does not exist any physical evidence to completely validate the premise. On the other hand, performing a further mathematical analysis of this curious numerical sequence at least suggests that Enoch was quite the mathematician, and he was extremely accurate about the number of days in a year during a time when no other person had written anything about this topic. He must have been laughing when he told all of this to Methuselah because he may have known how much argument this riddle would have caused. Enoch never died. The second canto in this third part reveals a previously hidden truth about Enoch. Modern biblical scholars will agree that Enoch was taken away by God for his faith, but none of them have ever considered that he might have returned the same as Elijah or Jesus. The book of Genesis says that God took Enoch away, but Moses never writes anything about his return. Moses grew up being educated as an Egyptian, so he was a heathen Gentile compared to other Hebrews who were educated about Yahweh from childhood. Moses would not have been willing or able to admit that Enoch had received everlasting life. God would not and did not transfigure Moses with everlasting life because Moses was a murderer. And God did not reveal the promise of everlasting life to Moses because he was not eligible to follow the path of angels or to receive everlasting life. Modern biblical scholars will insist that Moses was present at Christ's transfiguration because the cursed Holy Bible says so. Those biblical scholars who continue to insist on inerrancy 
are clearly not all that smart, particularly when the information in the text they insist is inerrant proves them wrong. Enoch's transfiguration enabled him to return to the earth to educate his son Methuselah after he had learned what the watchers taught him. It was going to take some time for that comet originating in the Oort cloud to reach earth, and Enoch traveled with the watchers while waiting for the earth's destruction by water to occur. Enoch's great-grandson would be fully grown and have a family of his own by the time the comet reached earth, and Enoch was able to return to earth on multiple occasions because he lives eternally. The concept of traveling backwards or forwards in time becomes exposed as a fallacy because prophecy is not time travel, and Enoch could not travel forwards nor backwards in time. He had to wait for things to happen, and he could not change the past either. Because God created time as something only he can control for everything in the universe, Enoch had time to let his sons know what was going to happen. But their understanding of these mysteries was minimal without the same kind of educational experience Enoch received while he was with the Watchers. When the Watchers returned Enoch to earth, they cautioned him with a warning about his physical appearance. He did not look the same as he did before he left. The Watchers warned him about this problem by telling him to inform his family that no flesh shall be justified before the Lord. There are a few possible explanations for what this statement means. One explanation is that it could mean Enoch's physical appearance changed when he traveled through space with the Watchers. This theory assumes that Enoch's spirit was not separated from his physical body, and space travel could have altered his physical appearance. Modern astronauts will confirm that physiological adaptation to weightlessness occurs while living in space for an extended period of time. Specifically, muscular atrophy is at least one possible adaptation clearly alluded to when the angels told Enoch they would allow him to regain his strength before they returned for him. If modern astronauts did not exercise regularly while living in space, their muscles would atrophy because of weightlessness. Noah describes his flesh melting away when the watchers abducted and transfigured him to have eternal life. So another possible meaning is that Enoch received a newly created corporeal form because his original body had deteriorated without his spiritual life force to maintain its functionality. Accepting this theory also means that God renewed Noah's body upon transfiguration, which may have been necessary to enable him to have the physical ability to build the ark. In any case, Enoch had the need to explain to his family that he did not look the same because no flesh shall be justified before the Lord. In consideration of a theoretical renewal or replacement, the statement means that the human body does not last forever, and God can make a new body for the everlasting spirit of a transfigured human soul to occupy whenever there is a need for that man to walk again upon the earth among physical beings. This explanation also presents that Enoch's physical body was unimportant when he was traveling with the Watchers because his soul was eternal. The Watchers were also able to assume a physical form when necessary, but their physical forms were clearly not the same as the human body in some details. The temporary bodies of watchers used might have been more like biomechanical machines which had limited sensory capabilities and did not require an oxygen-based atmosphere. Enoch did not have a need for his physical body while he was with the watchers because he traveled the universe with them, and God made their holy conveyance for the transport of eternally spiritual beings. The angels and Enoch did not have a need for ephemeral physical bodies. A human body cannot withstand the forces of inertia when traveling faster than the speed of light, so the holy conveyance can only transport the spiritual energies of an eternal alien species or the spiritual energies of earthlings who have been transfigured to have everlasting spiritual life. When the watchers brought Enoch back to earth, they most likely had to revive his preserved body, create a clone of his human body, or provide some other reasonably humanoid facsimile for his spirit to enter while he was on earth 
he would not have looked the same as before, so Enoch needed to immediately explain this situation to his family. Finally, the most significant theoretical explanation of what the quoted statement means is that God does not need human flesh to justify himself to man. In clear refutation of how pagan Christian theologians argue that Jesus was God in the flesh, this ancient extraterrestrial originating statement, which predates all the pagan nonsense, says that God does not do this. It was additionally important for Enoch to have his family understand that he was not God in the flesh. He needed to be sure that they completely understood that God Almighty does not appear on earth as a human being, because this also explained why the fallen watcher offspring were not gods in the flesh. Jesus Christ was not God in the flesh because God does not take human form or make babies in human females. Enoch's descendants obviously had no difficulty accepting him or his explanation, but there will be many Christians who will be unwilling to accept the truth of this argument because they will prefer to believe in the polytheistic pagan concepts of Greek and Roman mythologies that have become the basis for pagan Christianity. Jesus Christ was not God, nor was he the Son of God, because this concept is clearly based on pagan Roman mythology originating before the time of Christ. This second canto ends without going to the links similarly achieved in other parts of the poem. There really is no more content relevantly related to the topic of this third part of the book, so it was not necessary to continue this second canto to have twelve sub-segments the same as others. It is only coincidental that these two cantos have twelve and eight sub-segments respectively correlating to the phases for the sun and the moon. The creation of this numerically symbolic correlation occurred naturally, and there was not any plan designed for this to occur. The result of this poetic effort might also be prophetically explanatory for the content of this third part within the book of Enoch the prophet, the luminary segment of the work, has numerical significance on multiple levels. Enoch knew mathematics. Numerology as a pseudoscience used to interpret prophecy is mostly unreliable. However, this tends to be the case when analyzing prophecy in the New Testament because heretics have endeavored to corrupt the original text of prophecy in an effort to conceal the numerical significance within the predictions. Accurate interpretation of numerical data within the Holy Bible is not entirely possible, because of how that book has become accursedly editorialized over the centuries since the original author scribed the first parchments between 5,000 to 2,000 years ago. The luminary segment is a rare example of numerologically based prophecy appearing within Enoch's writings. The purpose of the luminary segment has always been to prophesy about future events through the use of numerology and mathematics. Enoch encrypted the prophecy within these riddles using mathematics. Heretics and pagans who have endeavored to editorialize numbers in scriptural texts were most likely baffled by the mathematical concepts Enoch used, so they were unable to determine any sense of them or how to modify them to be something else. There could very well be more mysteries not yet revealed in the mathematics Enoch used to encrypt his prophecies. There is a considerable possibility that it was Enoch who returned at a later time to be the scribe who made copies of the ancient texts that were likely discarded or destroyed when the Ark of the Covenant was plundered. Fragments of an ancient copy of the Book of Enoch discovered among the Dead Sea Scrolls could be evidence of how heretics had attempted to eradicate documents that contradicted the writings of Moses they had editorialized. It was God's will that Enoch's prophecy survived, so he could have returned Enoch several times throughout history to ensure that the text survived. Enoch exists eternally with the watchers the same as Elijah and Jesus, who are three eternal witnesses of God's gift of everlasting life. It may be that Noah only thought he had been transfigured to have everlasting life, the same as his great-grandfather. However, it seems at least reasonably cautious to suggest the possibility that there are a total of four persons in human history 
that have received everlasting life. Enoch, Noah, Elijah, and Jesus. Muslims might wish to insist that Muhammad was also a recipient of everlasting life, but murderers are not eligible for this gift. This fact is an important distinction for anyone who has taken the life of another human being and has the expectation of receiving everlasting life. God grants mercy in the form of eternal, peaceful non-existence for those who are not eligible for everlasting life. The other option is eternal suffering in a chasm of fire. So it is advisable to take the better choice of God's mercy by repentance. Enoch's Allegorical Dream Visions This next part of the poem covers the dream visions part of the epic. The dream visions are a highly allegorical series of teachings that Enoch presents to his son Methuselah. The poetic version of this part begins with complete alignment to the original translated text, and a simple interpretation punctuates some of the subsegments of this first canto. As these allegories continue, the poetic retelling will depart from the allegorical concept and substitute historical names for the original allegorical descriptions. The allegories are very complex and confusing, so it becomes necessary to poetically present them with interpretive information rather than limit the wording to the translated text version. The resulting poetry becomes very revealing of Enoch's accuracy that far exceeds any other prophet. The rejection of Enoch's prophecies by the heretics who canonized the Holy Bible was all a part of God's plan because those heretics did not alter Enoch's prophecies to agree with the blasphemous lies of their pagan theologies. Other than the heretical Slavic language translation that attempted to alter Enoch's prophecies with the injection of Melchizedek, the ancient Ethiopic copies were preserved well enough that the book was eventually translated into English without the same heretical injection of Melchizedek to completely curse the book. The words of Enoch are the words of God relayed to a man because God chose Enoch to be his first prophet and scribe. Enoch's dream visions will prove this statement to be a fact. The latter part of this dream vision sequence is not clearly explained by replacing allegorical terms with actual historically relevant terms because this latter allegory is a prophecy about current events in modern time. It really should not take a whole lot to decipher the allegorical relationship between Enoch's prophecy and current events. However, understanding it at all may require a true belief in the Holy Spirit in an effort to be at least a little bit helpful. The author will provide some insight by explaining that the sheep in this allegory are people, descendants of the Jews persecuted by Hitler in World War II. The ram in this part of the allegory is the nation that was also one of the shepherds God put in charge of caring for those Holocaust survivors. In Enoch's vision of future events, these Jewish Holocaust surviving sheep were being killed off by a fascist government that had come to power in a former Soviet Union republic that is also the historical origin of the Russian people. Aided by the second beast, who has risen to power in the world as a pagan Christian and controls the egalitarian nations, the fascist government of Ukraine, led by an antichrist, Jewish descendant, opposes God's chosen protector of those Holocaust survivors. There should really be very little confusion about what will ultimately happen when nations rise up to oppose a nation that God has chosen to protect the descendants of Enoch. Some parts of this latter-day dream vision continue to be curiously unexplainable but some of them seem to correlate with the creation of this book and other events currently happening in the world today. It is a concern for the author that there might not be much of a future remaining for him on earth, but knowing that the gift of everlasting life is available provides reassurance. There is nothing on earth comparably valuable to the gift of eternal life in the Holy Spirit. This concludes this episode of Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the Book of Enoch, the Prophet. Be sure to subscribe or follow for notifications of new releases. Thank you for listening. I am Michael.